Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. One of the most overused words in leadership discussions, indeed in this podcast series, is authenticity. It's so overused, I often wonder what it actually means when someone says they lead authentically. My next guest is Liz Jones, the leadership, learning and culture coach for The Red Cross. In this discussion, we unpack what makes an authentic leader. And if you are struggling with this concept like I am, you might be surprised to know it's not what you think. Liz Jones, welcome to the Future Women Leadership Series. Liz, can I start by asking what you do at the Red Cross? Absolutely, Helen. I've been with the Red Cross for a little while now and working with them adjunct as well. And my role there is really to elevate the practice of leadership right throughout the organisation. So we have close to 50% women that work at the Red Cross. And in fact, many of our volunteers globally are women. So we're really committed to how we can elevate the practice of leadership, both for the men and the women at the organisation. Red Cross is an organisation that has faced into probably more natural disasters and humanitarian crises in the last five years than they have in their 105-year history. So we are really looking towards the future and looking at the type of leadership skills that we're going to need to navigate a very complex future. So my role there is to help build the capability around that. So what sort of skills are you looking to emphasise? I think, look, I think the type of leadership that's brought us to where we are has served us well. However, what we need in really volatile, uncertain times is the ability to be very dynamic, think creatively, and there's also a much greater need to regulate emotional intelligence and bring that to the fore in leadership rather than looking at skills-based leadership entirely. So would you say soft skills? People would say soft skills. I actually say they're much harder skills. (laughs) (laughs) Good point, they are. (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, you know, the people that I've worked with through my career, it's actually much, much harder to develop emotional intelligence and some people have it, but the good news about it is it's something that everybody can develop, unlike IQ, which is relatively set, your EQ is something that you can continually work on and develop. So, you know, in my mind, it's a much harder skill in a lot of ways. It seems to feel a lot less natural in a, in a professional context, but it is absolutely a skill that people can learn and develop. Is it your experience that the generalisation that female leaders have more EQ is accurate? I think female leaders or women who identify as leaders, and this is a whole other topic for conversation around intersectionality and leadership. I think women traditionally have different leadership styles that they lean into naturally. So things like collaboration, talking about emotions, they're 
traditionally things that women have been more comfortable with. So there's a perception that women have greater EQ skill. However, having said that, I've met some amazing male leaders who also have amazing emotional intelligence. So I think perhaps women in our lives are required to develop those skills a little bit more and to hone those skills a little bit more. You know, when we think about our role as women and our role as women leaders, we lead in all aspects of our life, not just our professions. In fact, I would argue that that's probably a very small part of our leadership that we do on a day-to-day basis. So women are able to hone those skills and probably have done from a much earlier age, I think. Listening to you, I can't help thinking that in a way we've been socialised to have those skills because if our natural instinct was to be a bold, decisive, opinionated leader, that doesn't work very well for young women. That's sort of knocked out of you and you're encouraged to be warmer, collaborative, thoughtful. And if you want to get ahead, they're the skills you're probably going to lean into naturally. Otherwise, you're going to spend a lot of time having people be irritated or offended by your boldness and your natural tendency to take control of things. Yeah. I think, look, everyone has very different leadership styles. And I think there is a time and a place for bold leadership. And I know some incredible women. I can think of some examples of incredible women who are who are very bold. And I think it's important not to confuse being brash with being courageous. So often some of our greatest leaders have to really dig deep and be very courageous. They have to stand up and say things when they're unpopular. They have to really take a stand. And I've seen women do that very, very successfully. I think the key though, really, is it's about why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I genuinely believe this is the best thing for my people and I want to see them succeed? Or am I doing this because of me and because it's something that I want? And I would say that whether you're a man or a woman, right? There's leaders who lead with empathy, who lead with sincerity, and then there are other leaders that come from a place of ego. So I think that, again, comes down to the emotional intelligence piece. If you're someone who is really in touch with your emotions, can empathise, can be supportive to people and really is in it as a leader of others, not of self, then I think there is a time to be bold and you, you can do that. Taking on board what you said, though, I, I think a lot of our girls are trained not to speak up. I think, you know, that happens from a very early age. You know, I have an interesting perspective on this because I have a son who is transgender who lived as a girl up until the age of 17. And when I look at his leadership style, it is far more of those EQ characteristics. It's a lot more of the collaboration. It's a lot more of the sitting back and listening and not being bold. And so I do think a lot of that is socialised, even though he now operates and functions as a man, his style is quite different to a lot of the men around him. So, yeah, so I would agree with you. I think it's it's something that young women need to find their place to be able to be courageous in their leadership. And I think from an early age, we need to be really focusing on giving them the space to do that. And giving the space is actually another thing. So that's a learning skill for both women and men in how do I allow people with a different style to me who might not be as outspoken, who, is, who might not be as loud to have a space where their voice is equal. 
Do you find yourself going home and chatting to your son about these issues? Because Absolutely. it is such yeah. an interesting perspective to bring to these conversations. It, it's actually fascinating because, you know, when I think of examples of great leaders, I would have to say, um, you know, he came out as transgender in the middle of COVID, in the middle of Melbourne's deepest, darkest lockdowns. And in that time, he's, he probably demonstrated the greatest leadership capacity that I've ever experienced. At the time, he was 16. So he wasn't bold and fearless and loud. He was a really great leader, though, in that during that process, his concern was for those people he was leading through the journey rather than for himself. So he was self-regulating, but he was also thinking, how is this going to impact my mum, my dad, my brother, my grandma? And really working closely and connecting closely with those people to help them on the journey that they had to go through, although it was quite difficult at times. So I think there's a lot to learn from that. How did his mum respond? Well, his mum responded in a range of different ways, actually. As a mum, absolutely all you want is for your children to be happy and healthy. So that was my number one concern. The fact that when he spoke to me, the world was lifted from his shoulders and he felt free to be himself. That was incredibly wonderful. It would be remiss of me not to say, though, that as a parent, you go through a very real grieving process as part of that journey. And so there were times when I felt angry. There were times when I felt sad. There were times when I felt detached. And that's all really normal. And I was very lucky that I have done a lot of work in this space and understood the emotions I was going through. But I think, again, that's where he as a leader was really great because he tuned into everybody's different emotional needs and was able to to meet us where we were so that we could actually go through that journey. I met another mum, I guess 12 months ago, who was living in Sydney and had a daughter in Melbourne who did the same thing in COVID. And she was telling me how proud she was, but still went through the grieving process for the mm. daughter that she'd mm. raised, um, yeah. which I thought was a really interesting and beautiful insight. Oh, Yeah. You know, as a parent, from my reflection, it was the moment where I gave myself a big pat on the shoulder and said, you've done a good job. You've raised a really incredible human here. And, you know, so I I am so incredibly proud and so incredibly supportive. And for me personally, it's been a great learning experience too, because I have learned so much on the journey about the challenges that, that different people who are transgender face. And so it's been a real growth experience, I think, for me. But yeah, incredibly proud, incredibly proud that this courageous, amazing person is someone that I'm so close to and that has been able to have such a big impact on my life. This is an excellent segue into authenticity. (laughs) Authenticity is something that is bandied around in leadership, okay? You know, it's, I think probably it comes up almost every interview where women particularly are trying to lead authentically. I think I've talked about it so much, Liz, that I now don't really know what that means. (laughs) So can you help me? When we say authentic leadership, what does that actually mean? I think there's as many definitions as there are people, to be honest. For me, I look at authenticity in the way I would look at art. When I was in about grade four or five, there was a big exhibition that came to Melbourne at the time, which was Monet. And Monet's paintings were exhibited at the National Gallery. And I remember going and seeing it. And 
I was absolutely blown away in that moment, standing there looking at those paintings of landscapes where this person was looking at the world in a completely different way to the way that I saw the world and the way that everybody saw and they'd somehow through technical skill been able to capture this vision of what they had. They had really brought themselves into that art and there's no one that could look at a Monet painting and say, no, that's not a Monet painting because he's embedded in all of, all of the things that he does. So for me, if I think about authenticity in leadership, it's the same kind of thing and which is really hard to define. It's hard to say what makes me authentic, but I believe being authentic in your leadership is absolutely about having the technical skill. You know, you have to know how to wield the paintbrush, so to speak. But more importantly, you need to be really in touch with your vision of the world. What does the world look like for you? What's really important to you? How do you value things? How do you see things distinctly different from everybody else? And then you need to bring that to the table in everything that you do as a leader. And that, again, takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of work. I think particularly for young women, it's super challenging because you come into a work context and you have to be vulnerable and you have to be really courageous to really be yourself and to allow people to see that. But yeah, to me, to me, that's really what authenticity is. It's about all of those elements that I use. So we're talking about things like your purpose. We're talking about things like your values. But more importantly, we're, we're talking about your truth, really. And sometimes that's popular and sometimes it's not popular. Sometimes it's what people want to hear. Sometimes it's just not. But having the conviction to bring that to the table as a leader, I think that's what authenticity means for me. So what if your truth is unpopular and you are, you know, a young female leader in an organisation? There's an enormous amount of courage required and do you recommend that or do you feel there are circumstances where maybe you should grow into that truth? If I reflect on my own career, there are times when I was younger that I didn't live into that truth. Absolutely not. I just couldn't. Firstly, I wasn't ready to. Secondly, the environment that I was operating in would not have supported that. So I simply couldn't. And I learned a lot from that experience. So I think if you're a young leader and you feel like, mm, this doesn't feel right, this isn't really my truth, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you own it and acknowledge it and learn from it. But I think there are times when it becomes too hard as well. I know as a young woman myself, I had a time when I left a job because of something that ethically I felt was really, really wrong. The cost of working in that role was too great for me personally to stay. So I think there are times when we're really pushed. But a good guiding point, I think, is I always encourage young women to not just think of themselves as leaders at work. You know, we're leaders in all aspects of our lives. So whether we're an auntie, whether we're a mum, whether we're a daughter, we're showing up as leaders all the time. And we always have crisis points in our life. COVID's a really good example of this. We all went through that together. And how did I show up as a leader to my mum or to my family unit or to my friends during that time? 
that gives us a really good indication of what our authentic leadership really looks like because with those people, we feel really safe to be ourselves and we often feel really safe to have the difficult conversations. We also know when to avoid the difficult conversations. So I think there's a lot we can learn by broadening our view of what leadership means as a woman to being way beyond what we do at work. That's only a really small superficial part of it. And as we start to grow and develop and and feel really settled in that, we can then develop our our career so that we're closely aligned to organisations and to teams and to people where we can be more of ourselves. Do you think people sometimes confuse authenticity with vulnerability? Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's, it's like you said before, they're both buzzwords. So everyone talks about I need to be vulnerable and I need to be authentic. I think... To be authentic, sometimes you do need to be vulnerable, but I don't like that word so much, actually. I think courageous is a much better word. I think, you know, when you're being authentic, you are really being true to yourself. The school I went to, and and we used to joke about this when we were at school, the principal used to always talk about having moral courage, right? We had it drilled into us. And I really think authenticity comes down to that. Sometimes we can we can compromise a little bit. You know, sometimes we can be smart and we can think, I've got to be a little bit politically astute in this situation. I can't show all my cards. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes down to that moral courage piece, that's where authenticity really comes into the fore. It's not about being vulnerable. It's not about weakening yourself in some way. It's actually about being strong and saying, you know what, this isn't right. My gut feel is telling me I need to speak up about this. And and I think for too long, women in particular haven't done that. There are too many situations where we could have spoken up, we should have spoken up, and we didn't. And so that's when I'm starting to talk about authenticity. I I really believe women are the greatest strength to each other. We have the power to really support each other. And When we step away from our authenticity and we think, "Mm, I'm not going to speak up about that, that's when we're letting ourselves and each other down. Going back to authenticity, we talked about how difficult it can be to bring yourself to work. For young women who are hearing that authentic leadership is a good thing and bringing your authentic self to work is a good thing. What advice do you have for them when delineating between, you know, their rock and roll private life and their nerdy, data-orientated professional life? I'm using an extreme example, but, you know, I've got it in my own team. Like, what advice do you have for them sorting out those two personas? What I always put it down to is respect. So the thing that I always think of is respect for self, respect for others, and respect for the environment. So if you want to bring things from your rock and roll personal life into the office, do it through a lens of respect. Is this respectful to the people that I'm sharing my life at work with? Is it respectful to the environment that I'm turning up to at work? And then vice versa as well. There's a lens we have to put on when we go back home to our rock and roll world where we say, okay, what am I going to bring from work? 
And I think that's actually a really interesting dynamic because quite often we'll have a big vent. You know, if something's not going right at work, we go home, talk to our friends, we have a big vent about, oh, this person, that person, this is horrible. And we think that's quite safe to do that. But I think if you just keep that lens of the three R's at the heart of it, there are some conversations that maybe you shouldn't have that refer back to your workplace and vice versa. So I think it's, yeah, it's really about keeping respect at the heart of it. So what sort of emphasis do you put on authentic leadership in terms of those soft stroke hard skills that you're now working on for your in your current role? For me, I think that a huge emphasis is on the soft skills or the, the soft skills, you know, as, as we describe them. It's building up a, an organisation, building up teams where people are really in tune with what their strengths are from an emotional intelligence perspective, but also how they can all work together in really dynamic situations and lean into the, that, those emotional intelligence skills. So leaning into empathy for other people, for example. So when you're facing a humanitarian crisis or, or you're facing a natural disaster, it's so difficult for people. You know, we're dealing with people who are stressed, who are stretched beyond limit, whose well-being is at the centre of what we must be thinking of. But we also need to be bringing a leadership style that isn't simply looking at the tasks we have to do. It's actually looking at the people that we're working with and how do we harness the best in those people? How do we empower those people? Because by doing that, we can then help them to think creatively, help them to think out of the box, help them to be resilient. So for me, the emotional intelligence is a really important part not only for the work that I'm doing at the moment, but for for most organisations, I would say. But linking back to authenticity, how important is that? Like, where does that rate in your list? Like, empathy, authenticity, like, is it up there? So I guess what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find, is there a get-out-of-jail-free card where you can (laughs) say to me, actually, if authenticity is too hard for you, it's okay, you can pick up these other skills. Absolutely. And I would agree with that 100%. The one thing I would say, right, if you're in a situation and you're having to follow someone, if you're thinking, who am I going to follow down that tunnel? You don't necessarily follow someone you like. You follow someone you trust, don't you? So being able to be authentic sometimes means a fast track to being able to build up that trust that people will follow. So what I would be saying is, what we should all be aiming for is the authenticity piece. But we have to get there using the emotional intelligence skills. Because by doing that, we're then not stepping on people's toes. We're then, if we do offend, we're offending without meaning to. And we're able to recover that that offence. You know, we're, we're putting people first and we're empathising with how they feel. So we're unlikely to make as many missteps. And by doing that, we're able to really build up that trust. You've worked across all sorts of organisations teaching leadership skills. Can you tell me just sort of broadly how you go about teaching these skills? Like what techniques do you use? I think it depends. I've worked with individuals, I've worked with teams, and I've worked with entire organisations. And obviously your approach changes depending on which lens you're looking through. But for me, it always starts with the self. So every single leader that I'm working with, if I can get them to be really in tune with who they are, 
And, and that means understanding all the good stuff about them and all their strengths and also all the bad stuff. So all of the stories that they tell themselves, all of those skeletons in the cupboard that they don't want to confront, if I can actually get them to feel safe enough to confront those and then to really look into their strengths, what makes them tick, so their purpose, their values, how they do things differently to other people and their unique strengths, if everybody in a team is in tune with that, then suddenly they feel safe to share that with each other. Then all of a sudden you've got a really highly functioning team because you've got a group of people who understand what each other's values are, what's important to to the people I'm working with here. So I can respect that because I want to respect that. And, you know, how do they do what they do? What are their strengths? Well, I know that you're really good at this, but I'm really bad at that. So I know that we can we can lean on each other here and start to to share the load and we can start to be much more efficient. So if, if I can get to a point where from an individual perspective, people really understand that, accept themselves, and then from a team perspective, they're prepared to share that, then suddenly it's a bit like a waterfall. You have an organisation that has a lot of highly functioning teams. And you also have an organisation then that when they're talking about we respect each other, it actually means something. It's not just a word on a wall. It's really we do respect each other and we have a shared language that we can talk to each other about if there are issues, if we get it wrong, because we always do. We're humans. Okay, so I don't have you in my life um, (laughs) and I've got a team. Uh, What would you recommend I do to kind of have a highly functioning team? What are simple things that can make a, you know, potentially make a difference? Yeah, I think, look, I think one of the most important things is connecting on a personal level with each person individually, checking in with them all the time. And a lot of leaders feel like they need to have a weekly catch-up with their people and say, okay, what are we doing? What's on the agenda? How are we going? Tracking achievements. It's actually about making those people feel that you've got their back. So if we can get to a point where with our teams, we're checking in on people and saying, what is it that you want? Why do you show up to work every day? Why do you get out of bed? Why, why are you in this team? What is it about this job that's important to you? How can I help you get to where you want to go? If you have that kind of relationship with your people and you can check in with them all the time, not just once a year when they're doing their performance review, but all the time and have that dialogue going. I read this article, I thought it might be interesting because I know that you said that you're interested in this. Those sorts of relationships are the bedrock of a high-functioning team because then when we get to the point when we're starting to look at the diagnostics or the data and things aren't working and things aren't great we're having a different kind of conversation. Yes, we can have the hard conversations. It's not about being all nice and fluffy and and not having difficult conversations. What it means is you've got a relationship that sits at the heart of those conversations so that you as a leader know the right approach to take intuitively with that person. But also they know that you've got their back. So if you're having a difficult conversation, the reason you're doing it is because you want them to do well. To me, that sits at the heart of a high-functioning team. Is there any one thing that you see that teams do that they consistently get wrong? I think they pull back. As we were talking about earlier, I think there's this propensity to put my defences up, to keep myself feeling safe, to pull back, to toe the party line, to not voice my opinions. I think that's the biggest mistake and I think it has to come from leaders first, which is where I think 
authenticity comes into it because as a leader, if you've got a team, you need to be the one that's out there sharing what's going on with you. You need to be the one that is making it clear that it's safe to do this. And I think that would then stop people from pulling back. But the minute that we see people pull back into their shells, they're not operating at their best. They're not, you know, we, we don't employ people because we just want them to push a button. We employ people because they're smart, they're intelligent, they're creative, they can bring thinking that we maybe haven't thought of before. So in order to do that, we have to set them up to actually think outside the box and, and think in safety. So that would be my number one thing, I think, that, that teams could do better. Liz Jones, thank you very much for your time today and for a marvellously authentic interview um, <laughs> and, share, and sharing um, a little bit about yourself. Uh, it, it's, um, it was just a privilege to, to talk to you today. So lovely to talk to you too. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Series producer is Holly Mitchell and audio imaging by Nat Marshall.